When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 270 tonight. Um, if you have not already, go check out our fifth anniversary show that we did last week. Uh, it was a great episode. And uh, looking forward to tonight's episode. We have a new guest, author and researcher Alec Hawkins. Uh, we're going to be talking about a, a few different things. I, th- I feel like you know he knows a little bit about Charles Manson since he had some what of a pen pal thing going on with him. Uh, so we're going to talk about the book Chaos, uh, like MK Ultra, Charles Manson, all that kind of stuff, and then also all of his work in the occult. Um, I have a link down below. You can check out Alex's book, um, which you know he wrote this book. It's called Scratch on the Lock. He is a horror slash fiction slash um, occult erotica publisher, uh, and his publishing company is called Werecat Books. Um, so yeah, we're gonna have a great episode tonight. Before we get started, again, you can check out Alex's stuff. I have his YouTube channel and book all the way down below at the bottom. You can click on that, check that out. Um, and yeah, uh, check out our documentary trailer if you have not already. Our documentary will premiere March 10th through 12th at the Roswell uh, UFO Expo. And uh, really, really looking forward to that. Um, the link for that is down below as well. Um, if you would like to support Mind Escape, there's plenty of ways to do it. I just restructured all of our Patreon stuff for just, you know, $2 a month. You get all, you know, of our exclusive episodes and, uh, guest episodes and stuff like that. Um, we do have a merch store. So if you were looking for some Mind Escape gear or a hashtag Let Maury Speak t-shirt or, uh, we are living, breathing magic, go check that out. Um. Also, if you have not already, check out our other podcast. I do a podcast with uh, producer Shane, who's over there, called the Roswell UFO Symposium. And uh, please check that out on YouTube and subscribe. The link is down below. Um, Yeah, all of our link trees, Mind Escape, Roswell UFO Symposium. And then again, check out Alex's stuff down below. Um, and the best way to support the show is just leave us a nice review. Hit a, a you know uh, the the like button. Subscribe to our channel. We do our show live on YouTube uh, as well as Twitter sometimes, uh, which we are doing right now. Uh, so if you are listening on an audio platform, check us out on YouTube. And if you are watching on YouTube, please check out all of our audio platform stuff, uh, especially Spotify. We do have video episodes on there. All right. With all that out of the way, welcome on the show, Alec. How are you? 
Man, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Shane and Mike, for having me. Maurice, wherever you are, appreciate you, man. This is an awesome podcast, and I'm psyched to be here. Awesome, man. Yeah, um, our buddy P.D. Newman connected us. Uh, If you haven't checked out our episodes with P.D., please go do so. I think one of them we talked about his book, Alchemically Stoned. And then the more recent episode he was on, we talked about Angels and Vermilion, John D., and all that wonderful jazz. So go check out those episodes. And, uh, but yeah, man, I'm glad to have you on. And, uh, based on what you were talking about, there was a little synchronicity happening, which was, uh, when we were connected, you're, I'm like, you know, what are you into? And you're like, Oh, I, you know, had a, um, you sent letters and received letters from Charles Manson. I'm like, that's weird. Cause I'm reading chaos right now. So there's a little bit of a synchronicity, uh, oh, yeah. there. And, uh, yeah. From there, here we are. We're having a conversation. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background so we know a little bit about you before we get started? So um, I, I kind of like became this accidental storyteller um, from my youth. I was really into movies. And if you want to make movies, you have to write a script. So, so the story was always just this necessary facet of making movies. And when I was uh, in my teens, Mississippi's first film festival, the Magnolia, happened. So I went to the very first mag, and I I kind of stalked the founder, made him my mentor, and I would write screenplays because I was just like seeking this um, male approval, and be- and because I wanted to make movies. But I was really dead set on like, okay, th- this guy, like I'm not gonna make the movie till this guy tells me like your script is good. At the same time, I had a friend named Shane Ballard, and Shane, real eccentric guy, a pop culture sponge, he corresponded with everyone from David Byrne and Hugh Hefner to pretty much every living serial killer that you could mention. So I had my GL1 Canon camera, and I'm just filming stuff all the time. I also had this little black dictation tape recorder that I was like recording stuff all the time because the people I was hanging out with there was constantly music and just little toy instruments and weird stuff happening so in all of this madness my mentor Ron Tibbet who founded Mississippi's first film festival was like there's actually something kind of interesting happening here you're trying to do like this weird avant-garde Andy Warhol stuff but what if we made a documentary about Shane and in all of that, I'm hanging out in Shane's house with another friend of mine, and we're cutting up and making noise. And Shane comes into the room on the phone. He's like, "Shut the fuck up!" Shut the fuck up. And we're like, "What's what's happening?" I'm like Shane's usually an easygoing guy. He's kind of being a jerk right now. What is what is he doing? So we just ignore him and keep like making noise and music. And he's like, "No, Charles Manson is on the phone." And we're just like, "I've never really known Shane to lie, but this is weird." So anyway, Shane, Shane was really talking to Charles Manson. He had come into some recordings that Charles Manson did September 11th, 1967. I believe this was when he, you know, Manson was in and out of prison all the time, which is really weird. Like, how does a guy get out of prison? I mean, that was the main part of that book, too, was uh, the Summer of Love, 67. Exactly. So on September 11th, 1967, he records a demo, which Shane came into because he was, again, a pop culture sponge. He, it was, 
he had YouTube like early days of YouTube in his house, just bootleg VHS tapes. He had like every Kenneth Anger film. And I was like, dude, I've always wanted to see a Kenneth Anger film. This was before it was out on DVD. So anyway, he reached out to Manson and said, I want to do this right. I want to professionally put out these demos and any money I make from it. I know because of the son of Sam law, you can't make money, but I can use the money to send you cigarettes, send you a guitar, whatever, whatever. And he left his name, phone number, and, and, and the letter. And that was Charles Manson calling him to say, dude, no one has ever done this before. That's amazing. Shane actually ended up sending him a guitar, which um, I think it's Kokoran Prison, if I'm pronouncing that right. Did not let Charles Manson have. But I know he also sent him cigarettes and other things. But anyway, I had that little black tape recorder. And we put it in a bedroom with an old-fashioned phone and put it on speakerphone while Shane was in the other end of the house talking to Charles Manson. And we recorded these conversations. We didn't tell Charles Manson we were doing that. And um, anyway, my mentor, Ron Tibbet, ended up making a film called Citizen Shane, which documented... I, mean, I, don't, I don't think you have to worry about morals with Charles Manson. So. No, no. Ethics and morals kind of go out the window. <laughs> you do whatever you want with him. Um, celebrity death match. If you can make that happen, do it. Um, so... So Ron makes a movie called Citizen Shane about Shane's run for sheriff. Shane, Shane ran for sheriff when he was like 22, 23 on a, he ran as a Republican on a pro porn platform. Um, Shane was all about performance art and just doing the thing, living the art life. And um, you can find the film Citizen Shane on YouTube. And it also has um, a sequence in the middle of it where you, you get that recording that I, I did of them. But um, Shane and Ron both end up dying right after the film comes out in 2004, summer of 2004, some, some weird stuff. But anyway, so I, 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 was, I was in my late teens at this point, and I'm not somebody who necessarily sought out to be a storyteller, and I'm not someone who set out to be a mystic or an occultist. But when these things started happening in my life, it was just like something inside me was like, yeah, just keep going towards that. So, um, so, so that's, that's, that's my background. I, um, I, I have found myself, uh, constantly involved in creativity and art, but there's also always been this religious and spiritual, um, occult aspect to it. Um, I, I ended up getting married and um, I really wanted to have a son, and um, I was fortunate enough to be able to attempt to conceive a son with my ex-wife, and we did. And um, it was it was really peculiar because the town I live in, one of the oldest houses in this town, we kind of bid on just because that's what you do when you're young and love and married. You think you're going to like bid on this old pre-Civil War house, but then we got the house. And it made no sense. We actually, our bid was less than some of the other bids, but the woman sold it to us because she was like, I like the idea of a, a young couple getting this house. All the time I was like, no, the reason we got this house is because I'm doing some witchy stuff that I probably shouldn't be messing with. And I probably have spirits around me. And those spirits want to be in this old pre-antebellum house. So my son was kind of conceived in a time that I was definitely messing around with stuff that 
I wouldn't recommend anybody messing around with. Um, there, there's plenty of books and information out there to where if you if you want to summon things and make things happen, you can. I think a lot of people just don't do it, even if they do read that kind of literature. But my experience has been, and you absolutely can do stuff like that. Unfortunately, what happens is people who do that end up kind of ruining their lives or all kinds of things can happen because you're kind of messing around with things you don't understand. Very happenstance. And a lot of the occultists that I knew at the time were very focused on the stars and, and that kind of thing. Um, whereas I was like, no, let's, let's just deal with like the earth and subterranean things and things that are a lot closer to the realm we live in now. And I, I was getting immediate results, but it got scary really quick. And about the time that my son was born and I, st I had a, a few experiences with him that kind of terrified me. I was like, yeah, um, me and my son, we need to get baptized as, as soon as we possibly can. <laughs> and um, maybe I should kind of reconsider w what I'm messing around with. Um, because kind I mean, of my entities around me right now, check this. Yeah. Out. I mean, I, I'm getting triggered. I'm getting triggered by, by what I'm seeing right now. Um, I, I actually had a moment with my newborn son. It was, a, it was a sleep paralysis moment where I was on the couch with him. His back was to the inside of the couch and I was cradling him. And, um, there was like an ET like bent over the couch like trying to get him. And I was just like, you know, this isn't really a surprise. Um, but I, I don't know. Um, what, so, when, you, when my so you say, you know, you, you felt like you needed to get baptized. Um, I mean, I, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I'm very familiar okay, with religion. I yeah. went to religious. I'm not religious at all. Now I see no, I mean, there's, a moral uh, value to it, you know, like community gives you like a good uh, platform mm -hmm. to be a good person. But in terms of like, there's other elements, obviously the obvious things, the problems with, with the church and stuff like that. But on top oh, yeah. of all, on top of all of that, I just felt like, you know, for me, I never felt close to anything going to church at any point in my life. And I felt closer to what I would think of as a God or somewhat of a spiritual energy. The first time I felt that was actually on a psilocybin experience, my first psilocybin experience. Mm -hmm. So um, I never felt close to anything other than in like altered states and like investigating things that are like esoteric or occult or things like that. Um, nor have I gotten any, like when you hear the word occult, you know, a lot of people associate that with like evil or demonic, but even the word demonic, I mean, comes from daemon which you know right. socrates used to talk to his daemon all the time right. so yeah. um you know things like that like i don't look at this like a lot of other people do which has like a um and i know shane disagrees with me a lot on this but um i've never had any real negative experiences maybe that's the energy that i'm putting out or i don't know i don't know how any of this stuff works but i just feel like the inherently like creepy aspect of it or evil aspect of it like i don't look at these things i guess what I, back to the baptism thing is i don't think of it as in like that's going to protect you per se um and i'm i've been baptized myself and i'm not saying that i just those were human beings that came up with that ritual okay so through those human beings are they more do those human beings have more knowledge or um 
during that time when that was created, was there something else going on on the earth, some presence or some energy or something? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, for me, it's like, I, I don't I feel like, I don't feel like that's done anything for me other than, you know. I agree with your value judgment. The whole thing of like, if, if men made this up, I'm not interested in it. I, so I, I agree with you there. I think my thing was, I, I need to get back to what ancient man received from from heaven. So um, th- that's why I went to the Eastern Orthodox Church, because as a, as an academic, at, at my most agnostic, even though I've never considered myself agnostic, but let's just say when I was the furthest away from God, when I was, you know, doing ceremonial magic, which um, I believe a lot of people get into occultism because they feel a lack of control. So so they're desperate. So like what you just said about the energies you're putting out, you know, it's like, yeah, if you're if you're using these really base rituals, trying to summon terrestrial spirits to bring you sex and money and power, then, yeah, you're probably coming from a place of desperation and you're probably putting out some some negative vibes. But but my value judgment was um, if I if I find the true church, the people who actually received the truth and work enacting heaven on earth, then that's what I want to get baptized into. Um, Cause I was, you know, raised in the deep South where, um, you know, Roman Catholicism is seen as satanic, just like Freemasonry is, which, which is kind of weird to say since Freemasonry, what's left of it is still flourishing in the deep South. Cause the deep South is in the past in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I think I think the United States were basically based on kind of an anti-Catholic idea. You know, we we're, we're a Protestant deist kind of country. We we don't really believe in God. We just believe in when we meet, we eat. Let's let's talk about what this man at the podium's opinion of the scriptures are and have a potluck. Um, so I was really attracted to what as an academic I was taught was like this ethnic Catholicism where people have been doing these rituals in Ethiopia for 2000 years. That's what, what I was hungry for. But I do want to say for anyone who's interested in pursuing orthodoxy or maybe even Roman Catholicism, you're going to meet a lot of terrible people. You're going to meet sociopaths who became priests because they're, they're sociopaths. They're terrible people. So that, that in itself is a whole spiritual burden and, and a thing where if you do decide you want to pursue a life in the church expect to meet shit people you know but i guess that's part of the resistance and part of the the struggle Uh, i know it has been for me and and god forbid i i've probably been one of those shit people to someone who's who's coming to the church trying to find truth so yeah it's crazy yeah no no i mean i i totally get it for me it's like the last five years I've changed dramatically to the point where I used to kind of think I had an idea about who I was. Um, and I, I've, I guess now, I mean, I haven't been religious probably since I was like 11 or 12 until I kind of like, well, why are we right versus other people? And I just didn't understand the concept of, you know, one religion being right or wrong or the other, you know, like, so I started to question that and then I realized, okay, yeah, I'm not, this is not what I, what I believe, but I didn't really revisit it till later. Like I mentioned, till I had some real mystical experiences. Um, 
And then now I would consider myself spiritual and I'm very open-minded, but I don't really subscribe to one thing or the other. I, I, I look at almost like, like knowledge is my religion and I'm willing to change my philosophy day to day, depending on what I learn that day. Mm. Um, so I've kind of just, instead of adopting one thing and really sticking to that one thing, I've really just become a chameleon of new ideas and philosophies and things that I can further my knowledge, I guess, if, if you will. But that being said, and I've talked about this many times on the podcast, there is value in religion. There is value in believing in a higher power or a higher being, if you will, or whatever, in the sense that it takes that pressure off your shoulders. You know, it takes some of that anxiety away. It takes the idea that, um, you know, like there, there is, there is a value there, whether that exists or not, it doesn't matter because the idea of it's real in the sense that, you know, you're getting something out of it. I don't want to speak for Protestants, but I feel like what you just described is a very Protestant experience of Christianity where it's like once saved, always saved, like I'm good now. Whereas with orthodoxy, it's like, oh no, <laughs> I might go to hell. Not 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 to not to say that orthodoxy has this like guilt stuff because I know that's the cliche with the Roman Catholics like the Roman Catholic guilt, but um as, as someone who is orthodox, um the afterlife is is very much in my mind. Now I'm not speaking for other orthodox. I don't I don't think a lot of orthodox people think about the afterlife. In fact, it's very controversial. Um, at least in America, because Orthodox people in America, priests included, just pretend like that's something we shouldn't talk about. You go to Slavic countries and there's all kinds of information. I, I don't want to call it lore because that, that implies fiction, but um, you, you're just not going to you're just not going to hear Orthodox people call, talk about demons in the afterlife. Um, thank you, William Peter Blatty for the exorcist. Now Roman Catholics have realized that's something that people are interested. In. So there's tons of Catholic literature on demons and the afterlife, not so much with orthodoxy and, and the good books that, that do exist out there for whatever reason, American priests are like, don't read that stuff. Don't read it. Um, but let, let me alert, ask you this. You what about, what about on like a psychological level? Because the way I look at it is like, and I've studied a lot of ancient civilizations and, you know, I know a lot about the timeline of human civilization and history and the different cultures from Gobekli Tepe to ancient Egypt, mm. the mystery schools, the Eleusinian mysteries, all that stuff. Do you think that whatever, you know, in terms of religion, do you think that that's just their understanding or interpretation of whatever this other thing is, whatever that is? Or do you think, like, because I guess I have a hard time believing that people back then, given, even though there might be esoteric knowledge or ancient knowledge that we can obtain and use to our advantage, I have a hard time believing that they would know more than we would know now based on our ability to measure the things around us? Or do you think it's a different type of a knowledge, meaning that they didn't have that stuff, so they were maybe more tapped into the energies around them on the earth or something like that because they weren't so distracted with stuff? But I just, I have, I have a hard time thinking that these ancient people, you know, they were living through some time period where they knew so much more than us that we are like, 
very lost, you know, compared to them. I find that hard to believe. Well, it's a lot of stuff gets passed down orally. So, you know, a grandma might, might tell you something and you're like, well, Andrew Huberman was just talking about that, but my grandma has already knew about it. So I think some of it is just that, that mouth to ear, just oral tradition being passed down. Um, I, I definitely think that ancient people in a way knew more than what we know now because the naked eye can see so much. I believe that Christ fulfilled what people already knew. So I, I don't like the whole fallacy of like that zeitgeist movie that, that I, you know, when it first showed up on YouTube a million years ago, it was very cool. But looking back at it, it's like, just because Osiris did something and Dionysius did something doesn't mean that Christ is a ripoff of these things. And the whole idea that you see every Christmas where these neo-pagans who like, who just want to say, Oh, the Christians stole Yule from us. It's like the Christians didn't steal anything from you. The, the pagans with their naked eye could look at the cosmos and figure out a lot on their own. And that's why when Christ lived on earth and died and rose again, it was real easy for his apostles to go out into the world and for people, again, in Ethiopia, um, um, Assyria, they were able to receive this gospel and be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. We, we, we already knew this stuff, and Christ is completing what we already knew. That, that's my opinion as a believer and as someone who studied this academically before ever converting. So I think it's really easy for someone to say, I think it'd be really hip to be a Druid. I, I, I'm really vibing with it. I'm going to tell people I'm, I'm a Druid now. But I don't really respect that because, number one, any anything that's going to tell you how to be a pagan, and, I mean, please forgive me if, if anyone listening to this identifies that way, and, and if I'm wrong, please educate me, but all that stuff comes from the 70s. All that stuff comes from, um, I can't remember his name now, but the, the British guy who who invented Wicca, um, uh, and and all that goes back to Crowley, Dion Fortune, even a little Alice A. Bailey. None of that stuff is ancient, and and that's cool if you want to do it. I, I just really resent the idea that people want to act like Christians just stole this stuff, when really it's a matter of people all over the globe using their naked eye and figuring out a lot of stuff, and whether it's a Genesis story a creation story or it's um, ideas about the afterlife. It's beyond freaky how much of it's all exactly the same. But for I mean, some reason, I, I don't Christian think they stuff. stole. Like I don't, uh, I wouldn't say they stole things, but I will say, I mean, you can just look at the iconography, you know, the Sumerian fish, the, I mean, there's so many things that are represented in symbolism in Christianity that have roots and, previous cultures including well, like the, the lord's also- prayer is the, a prayer to pita which is an egyptian prayer from yeah. you know the mystery school so it's like they did take things and I, I mean i won't say i disagree with you on the osiris thing i think jesus was an enlightened being a real person now 
did did people really see his ghost or whatever? Is that an allegory? I don't know. But what I can say is that obviously this dude had some sort of transformational impact on people uh, that still lives to this day. So, I mean, there's something there, right? Um, But that being said, you know, I think that the Osiris myth does represent this like shamanic myth that's very similar to, you know, being taken to the other underworld, being disassembled, you know, being put back together. That's, you find that in South America, you find that in, um, you know, even like Hades taking Persephone to the underworld, you know, and like, like, you know, the Eleusinian mysteries and all that stuff. I do feel like there is a common thread there. Noah's Ark is basically the epic of Gilgamesh. I mean, those things do exist and i'm not saying you're wrong but i'm just saying that i do feel like there are foundations and maybe you know the foundations of christianity um you know it's just influence like anything else like how we influence you know you were talking about art and music and stuff like that like things have an influence on us i'm a huge fish grateful deadhead i i when i play the guitar you can hear that my favorite guitar players are trey anastasio and jerry garcia I'm not trying to sound like them, but that those are my influence. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I hear what you're saying, but my, my thing is, I agree. There, there's bad, there's bad people who call themselves Christians who came in and obliterated cultures, and th- and that's bad. But, I, but where I disagree is, I've 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 done meditations and ritual work where I saw myself at Petra being taken apart by jinn and disassembled and i had no idea what i was seeing in my mind and it was only years later as as an academic that i was realizing this is consistent archetypal imagery that exists so i do believe that it's a both and thing um and i mean hell it is documented that christmas was an originally celebrated on December 12th, but at some time, at some point, the Roman Catholic church moved it to the 25th. And then in America, there's Eastern Orthodox who to, to go with the norms, they celebrated on 25th, but then you get other Christians who don't. So I do get that, but I disagree with the whole idea of Jesus was really born in September and blah, blah, blah. And that, that so- that's kind of, that's taking it to another level where it's like, no, that's not true. It was always December. And hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I like this conversation. I, I will say this, and I, I don't. I don't want you to feel like I'm combating you because I'm not. But I just well, feel like no, no. That's the, what we're the, here for. The, the the disconnect here, I believe, is this idea that something that those people knew about something metaphysical or supernatural far exceeds what we're pot we're capable of knowing today even though like you said you meditate i meditate i've done psychedelics i've had mystical experiences that i can't explain i've had weird paranormal experiences that i can't explain however i'm not going to look to the bible to explain that for me i'm going to take that knowledge 
and I'm going to take what I think are like the gold nuggets out of that and then apply that to my own philosophies, if that makes Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of outdated, crazy ideas in there, too, that have no bearing or make any sense in modern society, you know, as well as terrible, you know, racist things and terrible humanitarian things. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there are nuggets of truth in there. And I feel like I guess that what I'm trying to say is that instead of like looking to those people and be like, oh, they figured this out. How about we take that knowledge and, you know, you know, modernize it, I guess, if you will. Well, I think part of the problem is we, we've got it so good right now. If things got if things get worse, if things get worse, things will probably get a, a lot more racist and inequality and, and terrible. I think um, so because I agree with you. There was a time where I was like, no, this is like Bronze Age stuff. This isn't applicable to now. Um, so so I think you kind of have to look at it that way and, and also look at the fact that you know, the, the people that are in those stories in the Bible are messing up all the time. But yeah, I, I, I'll give it to you. It's, it's, it's hard to reconcile. I mean, I, I'm, I'm someone who, um, who is finally kind of living their dream. Like being with y'all right now is something that I dreamed of just a year ago and now it's happening. But at the same time, I mean, I'm, I just got a manuscript the other day, an erotic novel that is, is amazing, but I also am trying to reconcile this whole idea of i mean i'm i'm a reader in the orthodox church and i'm i'm putting out a cult erotica so it's like a i mean i've always felt like i've had one foot in this world and one foot in the other but then at the same time do you watch uh it's always can i ask a question now yeah go now i'm interested let's hear about that erotica because i was trying to i was trying to put the two together of course that's what shane wants (laughs) well no no we were discussing the orthodoxy and i heard the supernatural erotica earlier and i'm trying to put the two together because erotica is always good in my opinion but i was just trying to put the two together as you were discussing all right let's keep it g-rated let's keep it g-rated yeah g-rated i'm um but i was just curious i'm a high school dropout who ended up after after I left my wife and decided, you know, I'm 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 going to live the art life. You know, I'm I'm going to do this. Um I ended up going back to school getting my undergrad and then going right into a creative writing MFA program where um where genre fiction isn't really a thing. You know, they don't like to talk about genre. They don't like to talk about story structure. Um, you know, Joseph Campbell is a, a bad person, you know, all, all that's bad. You know, I'm not going to get into any political or social stuff, but you can imagine the kind of prejudices that exist in MFA programs for great writing. So once I got through all that, um, I, I realized it, it seems to me that where the real stories are, the real emotion which I think is what all, all people want. We, we want to feel happy. We want to be happier. But what makes us happier is feeling emotions and experiencing stories. Um, and I was like, that that's genre. So these old archetypes and these old stories that never get old. And as someone who doesn't really know a lot of erotica, I mean, I read Henry Miller when I was younger and Anna Snin, and I did pick up a couple of erotic <laughs> uh, short novels um, I think I read two and then I, I started Anne Rice's Sleeping Beauty book, which was probably the best one, but I didn't finish it. Um, 
but I think that's okay. Shane loves going to Walgreens and picking up those erotic novels that have Fabio on the cover. I I think, I think it might've, it might be a mistake to read too much erotica, but again, I'm going against everything I was taught in grad school. It's like, instead of studying it, let me just do it. Because another thing that happened to me in grad school was we're in, we're in writer's workshops and I loved some of the stories I read, but then everyone has to give, you know, feedback. So, so people are saying you should change this and you should change that. And then you've got this author who's written some really interesting stuff off the top of their head. And now they're trying to incorporate 20 different changes that might not even be legitimate changes. There it's just people who are giving feedback for the sake of giving feedback. So if anything, I, I came out of grad school realizing first draft is usually your best draft. That's where the magic is. And also the things, and this is quoting Jean Cocteau, the things that people say are bad about your work. Those are the things you need to lean into. So I looked at my own work and there was a lot of weird psychosexual stuff. And, and I also realized as a person that has great privilege in this world, I can offer a platform to other people. So that's kind of how Werecat Books started, where um, erotica seems to innately be more of a, a, a female thing. Men will just get on the internet to find images. Women want stories and kind of a, a long game. And, I mean, it just happened the other day. P.D. Newman has this lifelong friend and and he he has started writing fiction and collaborating with me after a career in academic research and writing nonfiction. So she reached out to him and said, "How do I become become a creative writer?" And he was like, "I really can't tell you how to do that because I've always written academic stuff. This this fiction I'm doing is more of a fluke and just something I'm doing for fun. But I've got this friend Alec who who is publishing occult erotica." And she was like, well, that's weird because the stuff I've written is literally pornographic. So anyway. What is occult erotica? I'm sorry. I have zero clue what I know what erotica is, but. Excellent question. So the reason I don't call it horror is is the same reason that when 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 I tell people I love the horror genre, they automatically assume that I love gore and stuff like that. But I think my interest in horror has been because I kind of see sex and death as these two motivating things in human existence. You know, we know we're going to die and we know we want to fuck. So, so for me, that that's why horror has always been so captivating. Plus it's like this forbidden thing. I mean, I remember, in the nineties pretending to be sick. So I could spend eight hours while my parents were at work downloading on Netscape, like every puppet master trailer. And it would take like an hour. And by, and by the time they got back from work, I might've watched four trailers. And I thought like, man, puppet master looks cool. I don't know what it is. I can't watch every puppet master, man. Are we talking, hold on. Are we talking the puppet master, the real OG version with the dolls? Or are we talking the fake one, which is like an alien thing? No, I'm, I thought. Yeah, we're talking we're, about, I don't about Robert Highland's the Puppet Masters. I'm talking one with about the drilled head. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, the, yeah. that's the classic. So, I mean, I think horror is very theological. I mean, it, it it horror can deal with all this existential stuff that other genres don't. Who is your favorite with. Puppet Master? Mine was the little Blake. dude with the white hair and the little hat. 
yeah, Mike, the Michael Jackson puppet master. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Play, I like Mine was a drill. Shane loves the drill. Like the, drill. <laughs> the drill, the drill dude is cool. But yeah, I mean, I loved all that stuff because like the horror section of Blockbuster or Movie Gallery or wherever you go, that was like the forbidden place. So yeah, I, all those I, I movies think, were classic. Critters, Puppet yeah. Master, even uh, Gremlins, which of course Gremlins, Gremlins was more. Yeah, yeah. I, I could watch that, but that was the the occult section that i mean occult and erotica of course that's what i'm doing now because it's like my mind has been primed since ch childhood to be like what's beyond the door what's what's that that forbidden door you, you that gotta combine has. them like a erotica or something you gotta come <laughs> erotica, up with a new word yeah, it's yeah. like I, I want the door either there's gonna be masonic volumes behind that door or there's pornography and that's a joke. I'm yeah, not, no, no. Not really no, that's why I had a joke I was going to say earlier before Shane cut in, which is, have you seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? There's an episode where they talk about uh, Dennis writes a memoir. It's called Dennis Rotnold's An Erotic Life. And I was going to make a yes. joke. You, you yes. should write one that says Jesus, An Erotic Life. And I think people will, will love that. Well, it, that would definitely sell and cause a lot of controversy, which both both those things are, oh, are that good, book right? will that book would get burned for sure. Uh, uh, I've actually been listening to uh, what was uh, oh my god, what's the band? Um, they sing uh, Christian Woman, Peter Steele, typo negative. <laughs> and when at the end of Christian Woman, where he's like, Jesus Christ looks like me, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Y'all should listen to it tonight. It's like it's like a ten minute song about a Christian woman, but at the end, Peter Steele is talking about how he looks like Jesus, which I guess is supposed to sexually arouse the woman he's singing to. Well, I'm sure religious <laughs> people love that. Um, so, uh, but so, yeah, I find all that interesting. Um, you know, the religious stuff, I go, you know, I, I've said my piece many times. I'm not, I'm not against religion. Like I said, I think it holds an, if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're a good person and you're not trying to enforce your views or thrust your views or evangelize your your you know views onto other people i think that um i think it's fine and i think it can be like i said beneficial to take that load off your your back mm -hmm. of anxiety or whatever it is to believe in something higher and actually we can even go take that back to philosophy and um you know um you know plato and socrates in the dialogues would always talk about how um, so a, a dangerous man is a man that has nothing that does, doesn't believe in anything. And I think that we have a lot of dangerous, um, people out there now because there's a lot of people that just don't believe in anything. And I think that that's a dangerous way to live in the sense that if you have nothing to look up to or, um, fall back on or, um, just a higher power or higher calling, I think that you're lost. You're a lost person. And you don't have to believe in a religion, but I do believe that, you know, whatever, pick what it is. Is it, you know, is it panpsychism? Is it um, pantheism? Is it this idea that we're all one or non-duality? Like, I don't care what it is, but I do feel like it is important to have some sort of higher power or higher calling because I think it's, um, I think there's some truth in, in, you know, the idea that, you do see decay when you have people not believing in anything. I know that a lot of people that... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, people, in my experience, that convert to the Eastern Orthodox Church, they're e they were either agnostic before they converted or they were Protestant. So they kind of struggle with... 
um, uh, the, the daily prayers, you know, you're praying throughout the day, you're, you're venerating saints. And as an, as someone with an occult background and who went through all the degrees of Freemasonry, that was actually great for me. I never questioned it because I was like, yeah, this makes, this makes sense, which I think is really funny because, um, a lot of people in the Orthodox church would probably think that's bad. But for me, it was like, I didn't have any of those problems. I was able to convert with really no resistance because it made sense to me. Um, and in my Protestant experience, people just made up prayers. Um, and those same Protestants may put down the Orthodox church because they're saying you're praying stuff, you know, from, from a piece of paper, you're, you're, you're praying prayers of men, just vain repetition. Whereas for me, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Read a Aleister Crowley book and try to find out how to have a spiritual life. So that's one of the reasons why it's appealing for me. I wouldn't say it makes life easier. It actually makes life harder. Um, but I like it because it's it's giving me an occult life where if I'm if I'm doing it to the letter, I'm waking up in the morning and saying a certain prayer then at nine o'clock i'm saying a certain prayer at noon i'm saying a certain prayer so it's like you're living a spiritual occult life but anyway that's all that's all i want to say about that shane no i was going to say that uh well to agree with you though too humans like routines they also like uh i guess you would yeah. say um going through um i guess you would say like with orthodoxy you go through this I'm losing the word right now. So when you go to church uh, every Sunday, you guys go through mass, you go through the same thing repetitively, right? Yeah, that routine. That's cool. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It makes people feel normal. I was actually going to ask you because for me, I was always an atheist up until what, what do you think about UFOs? That's cool. So I was, I was really drawn to ufology when I was younger. I mean, the nineties were fucking fantastic. We had the X files and creepy stuff for kids. Um, and I remember my grandma being like, you need to quit getting those UFO books at the scholastic book fair. Those are actually demons and thinking grandma, what, what in the world? But now I'm like, was your grandma on the Collins elite? I actually just ordered a book <laughs> called uh, masquerade of angels. And it'd probably agree with the fact that the, they're, they're demons. So one of the things that, the, the reason I, br I broached it to you was always being an atheist until I, I started having, man, this is so weird too. So seeing UFOs and seeing them continuously, but all I could compare it to was a religious experience. So Ezekiel's wheel, right. things like that. So in my head, I, I somehow think all these religions are the same and it's something like that. Now, God, UFO, in my head are the same thing, which sounds weird, right? But I, I'm curious. Do you think orthodoxy, all these are just different, uh, I guess, hats on the same thing? Or do you think some are wrong, some are right? I, I, so I'm not – yeah, I wouldn't say that – And I don't say wrong. I'd say – okay, let me say this. Well, what's the easiest way to say it without – Somebody end up killing us. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, word it the way you best feel comfortable. That's you know what I'm saying. I I feel like in a to 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 Orthodox people, I probably come off as a perennialist, where where it's like, yeah, you can look at all these world religions and see the truth, but but I believe that Christ completes the truth. That's why I'm not Muslim. Uh, that's why, you know, I. 
chose orthodoxy and uh, and i and i'm and i'm definitely with mike on this idea of you know once you decide you have the truth that that's that's just as that can be just as bad as someone who doesn't have any truth and that's something that i've really been struggling with my faith right now where it's like i want to submit and um because my experience with orthodoxy has been if you can't in- intellectually understand something the church fathers teach accept it in your heart and just go with it and then you will begin to understand it in your mind and i shook and, my and head my, because my all this stuff you're saying but I, I do it, it also it, that also sounds like just you're programming yourself but at the end of the day you're it's, gonna it's, get programmed somewhere. So, so somebody put somebody put in the comments. Shout out to Corbeck. Uh, they put Bigfoot erotica, and I'm just thinking, come on. I have a perfect one. Shane can do. It's called Bigfoot small dong, and I think that that would be a, a perfect. <laughs> Ooh, that big toe can do some Thanks. stuff, baby. <laughs> no, not I'm you, Shane. You, I'm never no, showing not, you that again, not, bro. Not you, Shane. I'm talking about Bigfoot. That's the sure name, not me, because bro. you. Never no, because you have a because <laughs> you you have a Bigfoot hat on, bro. Come on. Uh, no, this is a wounded warrior hat. Oh, it is. I thought that was your Bigfoot. Yeah. I thought that, um, I thought that was your call, squatch. Bro. I thought Good that was call. the one where you got a squatch walking across. You heard it here first. Mike thinks every disabled vet is a Bigfoot. No, that's so, not true. No, hey, the reason I was I was kind of shaking my head is all these things you were discussing, like the way you feel and stuff. This is so weird to say. It's how I interact with. Like I said, I'm not uh, UAPs. You know, when I think the the things you're literally saying, I I same thing, right? And I, and I can't understand it, can't begin to understand it. I just follow, kind of go along. That's why I'm almost in my head all the time, thinking it's all the same thing, like God, whatever you want to call it. And it sounds like I'm a weirdo because I am. No, that's it. Makes sense. I'll tell y'all. I'll tell y'all a scary story. And, and the people listening, may, they may take from it that it's not about who's a Christian and who's right. It's just about the power of the mind. And, and maybe we're all in this spider web and, and maybe we're influencing things or maybe we're just acting out the will of the spider. Indra's but net. In, in, in 2017, um, I don't think I had left my wife yet, but we had been separated for the majority of the year and, and it was coming. And, um, well, forgive me if, if I, if I say something, but I'm going to say it. Um, there, there was a guy who, who had kind of had the spiritual awakening when he took DMT and he was going around the country, giving people DMT, like kind of being their, their, their guide while they took it. Jesus. And, and, P.D. Newman was one of, was one of the, the people that this guy was going to come to and give the experience. Now, Danny, P.D., and I had smoked DMT before. I hadn't done it as much, but I did it a couple of times. And, yeah, I went in – and what I perceived, I went into the underworld. Like, my, my intellect said, we're in the land of the dead. I mean, it's geometric shapes and all that, but – my my intellect was like we're dead so danny's telling me that this guy's gonna be traveling down to mississippi and they're gonna drink the jungle juice drink ayahuasca 
And when it got closer and closer to, to time, and Danny and I are talking about it, Danny was like, dude, I don't think this guy's coming to help me. I actually think this is for you. Because again, I was like in this crisis. Like I, I had asked a woman to marry me. I had asked a woman to lay down and, and conceive, conceive a child with me. And then I was realizing that, you know, I was gravitating to the Orthodox Church. She was already freaked out with my occult adventures, even though I thought she knew who I was and that was part of what we were doing. But, you know, maybe not. So anyway, I ended up traveling up to North Mississippi to spend a night in a shed. And Danny and I were going to drink ayahuasca. And Danny had much more experience with DMT than I did. So when he drank it and immediately blasted off, I didn't want to drink anymore because I thought, you know, just, just physically at the time, Danny was a bigger dude than me. And I, and I am a big dude. So I was thinking, you know, our guy kept saying like, Alec, you need to drink more. Like you've drank a lot, but you're not, you're, you're wasting this, this opportunity if you're not blasting off. And I'm like, no, dude, Danny's over there. Like, no, I can't drink more. I didn't realize at the time, the more you do it, the less your body needs. So since he had done it more than me, it just took a taste and he was off to the stars. So after a lot of hesitation, I was like, fine, I'll drink some more. And still nothing happened. Well, well Danny kind of came back to earth and told the guide he needed to relieve himself. So they left the shed, walked across this huge, I'm not going to call it a farm, but just imagine kind of a farm in the woods and went back to the main house and left me alone in the shed. And there was this weird like pipe above my head and I started to hear a buzzing. And that buzzing sound came down into my ear. Was it a high frequency hum? Like, like that? Right. And the next thing I knew I was going and I was buzzing. And they told me after the fact that they could hear me across the way as they were entering the house. And they were like, well, anyway, I won't give you a whole lot of details of what happened to me. But before we did this, the guide said, you know, write down a list of the things you want to achieve, any clarity. You know, he was like, for example, I've dealt with like alcoholics and they want, they want, don't want to drink anymore. So they go into their DMT trip trying to do that. So out of the things I wrote, I I know one of them was, you know, my concern for my son. Like I I definitely want my son to be okay because I'm a child of divorce. So I was very sensitive to that issue. And another thing I wrote down was I want to find the Orthodox church because the Orthodox churches in my area were very, not good people, you know, just the kind of people who they, they want, they want you to come and get their numbers up. But then once you've, You've served your purpose, you know, and, and let's face it, when you're a divorced person in any Christian community, you're, you're, you're subhuman. So anyway, I, I wrote that down. I was like Orthodox church. So the whole point of the story is on October 17th, I was flying in the, the stars and, and having a very traumatic, intense experience. You know, I thought I was dying. I mean, it was awful. You know, I had just applied to grad school and I thought like, man, you know, my professor is going to be like, Hey, I got Alex application for grad school, but he died in the shed. You know, my parent, you know, my son's going to grow without me. So it's, it's kind of like your just classic, you know, experience. 
October 17th. So later on in 2018, I'm driving to the uh, public library in my town because I knew they had a good collection of Roman Catholic theology books. And I had just kind of said, I'll, I'll never be Orthodox, but maybe for a sense of community and a sense to be a part of some kind of ritual, I'll go to the Roman Catholic Church. So let me kind of figure out their theology. And as I'm pulling into the library parking lot, the old Christian science building that's been abandoned and emptied, as long as I can remember, had a little sign in front of it that said St. Catherine Orthodox Church. And there was a, a phone number. No, it was an email address. And I was like, this is crazy. So I emailed the, the person and, and, and told her my story. And she said, we're actually going to have our first service this Sunday. Come and see. So I went to the church. It's the church that I ended up being baptized and chrismated in with my son. But then one day I looked at the scrapbook that that same woman had created. And on October 17th, 2017, three families had gotten together to talk about how they could form an Orthodox church in Columbus, Mississippi. So while I was doing my own DMT experience with, with the intention of finding the Orthodox church, these other people were sitting there that night saying, how do we start an Orthodox church? So does that mean I manifested the Orthodox church? Or does that mean we're just all in this, this spider web acting stuff out for some greater power? I don't know. But that's my, my DMT Orthodox conversion story. No, but, it's interesting. I mean, it's something... No, nobody in my church knows about that. But <laughs> so, not you know... Watch video either, so it doesn't matter. The way you mentioned magic, I think we would somewhat disagree on that too. Like, I think of magic as just intention. You know, like if I write down a list... I'm beholden to this list. I'm more likely to do the stuff on this list and carry out the activities <laughs> if I didn't do it. Or if I put my passion and effort into something I really want to do. If I just sat in my room and just meditated on it, like for instance, if I said, hey, I want to become the top podcaster in the world. You know, I want to become the next uh, Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman or whatever. If I just sat in my room and meditated on it or did rituals and magic and stuff like that, nothing's going to happen. But maybe if I meditated on it and then I start, you know, getting top guests, upping my game, making it look and sound and as good as possible, having the best guests as possible and just did it that way. That's that's how I think about like magic and the way people perceive magic is it's like you're tying ritual to intention, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, no, I I agree with you. I, I don't okay. I don't know exactly where where we disagree on that, but no, no, I, yeah, I just I, I, I don't. Agree. You said magic. I just assume, and then that maybe that's my fault for assuming. But when people say magic or ritual magic, they usually associate that with like some sort of supernatural element, as where you don't have to put in the work. I don't. I've noticed that. That's I what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like for example, the Orthodox Church for me is me saying I'm gonna submit my will to god's will whereas magic would be no this is what i want to do um I, like neuro-linguistic programming instead of saying man i'm an idiot you know this this was awful and then i start believing it and i do become an idiot you kind of have to have that arrogance to be like i i am joe rogan this is the best podcast and then e even even if you are being delusional it, you may actually become 
the lie that you're telling yourself because it's not a lie because you're just doing it, which is kind of what I did. I, I quit my teaching job last minute, um, which really pissed a lot of people off because I guess you're not supposed to do that. And I'm over here thinking, yeah, I burned some bridges. I'm never going to go over that bridge again. What, what, what can they do to me? Like, tell me I can't teach anymore. I don't want to teach. I wasn't teaching anyway. I was participating in a corrupt system of lies and just making money of glorified daycare, you know, for young adults. Why? I feel like I've taught what? more since I left that world and actually given a platform for creative writers to actually do stuff. Why orthodoxy? Like, you seem like you know a lot, obviously, about history and philosophy and stuff. Like, why not Gnosticism, which seems to be more closer to the root of this these ideas? Like, meaning well, there's, a, there's a clear line from Plato and his idea of, you know, Gnosticos and all that kind of stuff that, that leads to... Um, you know, Neoplatonism, and then you have a lot of the ancient, you know, Catholic mystics and stuff drawing oh, from man. Plato's theory of forms and things like that. So why choose no. something that isn't really as close to the root as, like, let's say Gnosticism? Well, I, there was a time when I thought Gnosticism was the thing, but I actually reread Elaine Pagel's Gnostic Gospels, and it's one of the most unacademic things I've ever read, because when I read it now, she's just basically saying... Gnosticism is all about not, you know, seeking out knowledge, which is cool. Um, mainstream Christianity is lame. Therefore, Gnosticism is the real Christianity. I mean, that's essentially her thesis in that book. Um, but I, I think orthodoxy, and this is this, I don't know any orthodox person other than P.D. Newman who's going to agree with this because this, this kind of comes out of his own independent research. The Neoplatonism is the language that the early Christians used when creating and compiling the Gospels. Um, I think part of the problem is orthodoxy is so different from how we in America perceive what Christianity is supposed to be to, to the point where you know, one priest may tell you one thing in America, another priest is going to tell you something different because it's such a mental thing. Like Father Seraphim Rose, who I do believe will be canonized as a saint because he's already being venerated as a saint by people. And, that, and that's that's literally how you be, become a saint. People venerate you. And then the church says, OK, you're a saint. But anyway, he, he talks about kind of acquiring that peasant mind, um, which, which is basically meaning you oh it's so hard to put into words because it's like i'm not talking about superstition but i'm i'm talking about well just what you were saying like the the neoplatonism um which i feel like the gnostics were 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 seeking that truth and trying to do their own thing but it was all culty and fringy and there there was well, obviously, it didn't go anywhere because the only thing we know about the Gnostics is what people who are anti-Gnostic wrote about them. Um, right. So. I mean, actually, I was going to tell you, there's if you want a, a history, a, a deep history of Gnosticism, there's these things on Audible called the Great Courses. I don't know if you're familiar with okay. them. 
Uh, no, I'm but not. there's there's one. It's it's called Gnosticism from Nag Hammadi to the Gospel of, uh, Gospel of Judas, and I mean, yeah, it talks like Valentinus. All you know, you mentioned or Valentinus. Yeah. You mentioned all the people opposed. It's like the same. That's the same way we know about Jesus. Is all the people opposed to Jesus, other than like the Pontius Pilate stone and a couple other things you know that's how we know about a lot of things throughout history is the opposition or the enemies or whatever the case may be and that even goes for other cultures like the egyptians and you find out about like the sea people and stuff like that so um but yeah i mean that that's a great resource for and i know what you're saying about the elaine pagel stuff um, she doesn't really even get into like the archons and stuff. Like no, that, she really. had an axe to grind. You know, her book on the devil. She what? She lost her 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 husband and her son or something, and and so she writes this book about how the devil was like invented. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I used to really like Elaine Pagels, but then when I got older, I look at her stuff and I just think, yeah. It. I mean, it's kind. Of, it goes back to the whole Christmas thing. I mean, people can just get away with saying totally wrong anti-christian stuff and when there's you lots ask, of stuff i mean where does this come from they can't tell you because they automatically accept it because they're so pro anything that puts down christianity i mean have you read stuff. that book um the immortality key by brian murescu about like you know the holy grail and all these things being tied to psychedelics and initiation going back all the way to the Eleusinian mysteries yeah. um and, you know, there's some things I have some problems with in that book, and I've been open about that in the past, but I do think there's good knowledge in there, and he actually was able to find physical evidence of, like, ergot and other psychoactive compounds on a lot of these, you know, pots and pottery and stuff like that to prove that these things, you know, psychoactive compounds were connected to it. And the idea of dying before you die, um, mm-hmm. this idea that, like, you know, a lot of these mystery schools you know, let's just take the Eleusinian Mysteries for an example. The greater mysteries, everybody had to participate once in their life, but you could only participate once in your life. Hence, you have Alcibiades um, profaning the Eleusinian Mysteries in 405 at a dinner party or 405 BC, um, you know, and stuff like that. So, but so they go through this ritual once in their life, and you know, you have some quotes from Plato and the Phaedo about it. You have some. Um, other people quoting, you know, a lot of famous Greeks throughout history. Um, and they all talk about this idea of like there being more and the idea of dying before you die. Um, and that kind of correlates to what we're talking about with the idea of like the precursor for the religions that we know of the Abrahamic religions in the sense that a lot of what we know in terms of religion comes from these philosophies. And obviously you have Eastern philosophy, which you get more of the non-duality and that kind of stuff. But the you know, the platonic ideas like the theory of forms, the allegory of the cave, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of Atlantis and the Republic and all that kind of stuff. I mean, all those are like transcend that time and were then used by, like I said, like, like, you know, going into Neoplatonism and then leading to Gnosticism and early Christianity. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, with this, I feel like I'm not saying psychedelics are at the root of all this stuff, but for me, I've never had any day-to-day experience or mystical experience in my like waking life, but I've had tons via psychedelics, via meditation, via um, lucid dreaming, altered states of consciousness. So I guess for me, this idea that 
there's some natural, supernatural thing happening, you know, that we can perceive at any time or connect with at any time. I don't feel that, but I do feel it in altered states of consciousness. So I think that it makes sense to me that a lot of the stuff, like our idea of metaphysics is predicated on altered states of consciousness. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, that's why when you go into church, there's icons and there's incense and you're not speaking, you're chanting or singing everything. So you're absolutely putting yourself in an altered state of consciousness. And, and just the, the whole thing about Gnosticism, it was kind of my interest in Gnosticism that led me to orthodoxy, but I, I don't believe in this whole, like the, the body is innately evil and, and the demiurge and all, all this stuff where, like I, I get now why the church considers Gnosticism a heresy because even though there's some stuff in there that my soul wants to gravitate towards, there's also other stuff where it's like, why is that the conclusion? Um, um, I don't. And and also my other thing, you know, you asked why not Gnosticism? There is no Gnosticism anymore. It just goes back to people who call themselves Druids. It's like, dude show me the druid rituals that you are using to live your druid life. Uh, um, I'm not interested and that's okay. I'm not, if, if that's your thing, I don't, I don't have to respect it, but I can respect you for doing it. Like you do it, but there's no such thing as Gnosticism anymore. So if there's someone, well, yeah, I mean, in terms of, I mean, you could study. Gnosticism. You, yeah. Well, you can, you can study what, what little we know about what their beliefs were. Um, and and pretty much all that's coming from yeah, the library of Nag Hammadi, right? You can the, read the scenes but, and all that stuff, right? Yeah, and glory to God in 1947, th- that stuff was discovered, um, and th- and that's cool. We we can we can read their sacred literature, but we, but anyone who's trying to sell you, hey, you can come join my Gnostic church. I have no interest in revivalist religions because that's not that's not the real thing. So the reason I chose orthodoxy was as an academic, I knew that the Eastern Orthodox church has essentially been doing the same thing for over 2000 years. Now, the cool thing about orthodoxy, unlike Roman Catholicism is they didn't, they didn't obliterate the culture. They didn't assimilate the cultures they went into. They let their cultures kind of keep their customs so that's why Russian Orthodoxy, Greek Orthodoxy, um, Armenian Orthodoxy has different flavors to it because I guess that was kind of the genius of their missionaries where it's like let the people keep their customs and traditions. Um, whereas I think the Roman Catholics are more famous for just saying like, no, you can't have that anymore. And then you get stuff like um, voodoo where it was hidden. Um but they were still practicing it. So I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it, it does. And, and you know, that Gnosticism, Gnosticism, Freemasonry, occultism, all eventually brought me to the Orthodox church. And, and I've, and like yeah, I, I guess before, I was able to receive it because I'd already gone through those initiations right. and those studies. For me, it comes down to like, like I said, I mean, I'm very familiar with all this stuff. Having had to go to Catholic schools until I was in middle school, um, you know, you look at the Old Testament, you have a very vengeful, 
uh, God who is, you know, saying, don't take anybody else's name but me or don't do this and don't do that. There's a wrath there, you know, and then you get to the New Testament. It's like, oh, we love, you know, God's love. He loves you. He's forgiving and blah, 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 blah. It just reeks of human to me, if that makes like there's no I don't feel the. You know, did God change his mind if he's all knowing, ever present, you know, whatever? Why would he, you know, he should know that that's going to happen in the future or you know what I'm saying? So it's like things like that um, where I'm like, okay, well, um, I don't know. I just for me, I do feel like there's something more to all this. We are living, breathing magic. um, And that's why I'm just not tying myself to anything. But I respect people like you who do their homework who do pick up something and say you know what this is what i am or this is i'm feeling this and this is what i'm going to go with and um and i i hope everybody finds that for themselves whatever that is whether it's art music religion spirituality you know whatever it may be um i think we should all be so lucky uh but um like i said i just feel like there's a lot of contradiction stuff and the more I don't know. The reason why I asked you that question, though, was because I feel like it's a game of telephone, a history telephone, where the further you get away from the root of what's happening, um, the more you become um, ingrained in whatever the dogma of the day is to a certain degree. But I'm not saying that about necessarily anything specifically, just that that's kind of what's happening. But again, there's an, we all are influenced by everything every day. So it's almost impossible to escape that. And actually, when you see somebody who is truly original or brings an original art or creativity or presence or music or whatever, you know, you're gravitated towards because you're like, wow, I've, this is crazy or this is so unique and so unusual. I mean, that's what got me into like jam bands and fish. Um, there's a song by fish. One of the first songs I ever heard from this CD called Rift. Uh, back in the day um and the song starts it's called way the first and fish is not like an aggressive band they're very hippie mellow but the song starts out it goes i'd like to cut your head off so i can weigh it what do you say five pounds six pounds seven you know it goes into this whole thing um so when you when you look at that it's like okay well this is kind of um this is kind of different you know and i was raised on like classic rock and stuff like that so um yeah i don't know i i feel like you know something you can learn something from each culture each religion each thing so i like i said i respect the fact that you've found what that is for yourself and you're sticking to it and you're putting in the work and i think that that takes a lot of time and dedication and um yeah man just you know keep doing what you're doing and um i think that you're obviously on your path um for what you're doing and i think that it's important that we all find whatever that path is for ourselves. And it's not easy to find. And like whenever you're on a path of knowledge or whatever, um, it sucks a lot of time, a lot of energy. There's a lot of second guessing and questioning and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and it's weird because some, sometimes we feel like I'm I'm doing this. And then other times it feels like it's doing it to me. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I think it really is more of the latter, you know, we're um, maybe we get imprinted when we're young and we, we gravitate towards certain things, but um, it's, it's definitely made my life richer. You know, my, my experiences with um, 
ghosts or spirits or demons or aliens or whatever they are. Um, um, I mean, even my Charles Manson thing, as far as like me actually corresponding with Charles Manson after Shane died, I I just wrote Charles Manson because I I wanted him to know that this nice guy he wouldn't be hearing from anymore. And it was so funny. I got home from work and I only had a few minutes, so I had to get in the car and drive out to night school. And my dad was like, you got a letter. And he was he wasn't happy, you know. He, he, I mean, he already thought that Shane was a bad influence and now Shane had died and caused me grief. And uh, here, here's this letter from Charles Manson. My, who knows what my dad was thinking? And, um, and, you know, and it was in the aftermath of Shane's death. So, you know, here's my dad not being insensitive, but kind of just being like, Ugh! and I go in my room and I open this letter and um, Charles Manson in the letter said, Shane's not dead. You know, don't ever say that again. Shane, Shane was just here, you know, and it, it was written in that Charles Manson way where it was more like, you know, he was just here with the wham blam and the Jew, you know, it, it was classic Charles Manson. Um, unfortunately, after my son was born and I had a few ghostly experiences, I threw that letter away. And the very next day at work, I'm on the Internet and I read this article about how much letters uh, for Charles letters from charles manson go for and i thought you know i specifically threw this letter away because i didn't want like to get into any karmic entanglement of like profiting off of the death of sharon tate and and then like within 24 hours of throwing the letter away i'm seeing this article about how much money i could make on the letter and this before charles manson was even dead so i kind of saw that as a sign from the universe says like yeah good thing you threw away the letter even though every time i tell people that story they're like you're you're an idiot why did you throw that away um, but anyway, I, I just love the idea of me coming home sad about my friend's death and my dad being like, Ugh, Charles Manson. And then Charles Manson's actually being really sweet and being like, no, dude, Shane was just here, man. We, we were just, you know, chewing the fat. You know, he's not dead. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, crazy. Let's, let's go back to Charles Manson a little bit. Did you, have you read chaos? I have not read chaos. It sounds okay. you, sh- you awesome. should read chaos. Um, no, no, you absolutely need to read chaos. Um, okay. I, you I find out things like, over, but. well, like Helter Skelter, um, written by Vincent uh, Buglios, Buglosi, I, I believe is his yeah. name. Um, you know, he, you find out in this book, Chaos, he was kind of a liar. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he found things like in the house, like, you know, and I don't want to ruin too much, but I'll just go few, go through a couple yeah. of the things. We'll do an episode on this in the future because I want to do like a recap of this book. But um, he supposedly the police found a tape made by Roman Polanski in the walls after the, the crime was committed where it showed Polanski videotaping Tate. He was forcing Sharon to have sex with two other dudes while he videotaped, which is kind of right. messed up. Um you know, he was connected with a lot of like shady Eastern European drug dealer types who were like profiting off of like the hippie movement and stuff like that. Right. Um, you have this guy named Ree- Reeve Whitson who was around a lot, who was also connected to like the CIA. Um, Manson knew the guy, and I didn't know a lot of this, but Manson knew the guy, Mel- Melcher, who lived at the house pre- previously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually he turned him down for like a record contract. Uh, but but um, and Melcher claimed he didn't even know who Charles Manson was aside from turning him down. But that's not true because this guy found evidence that um, 
Charles Manson was like sending his girls to have sex with like Melcher and his, you know, producer friends and stuff like that. So there was a connection there. Um, a lot of famous people knew about Manson at the time. Um, you know, Manson, they say you, oh, so like he used LSD to brainwash, um, you know, get these women and girls into a suggestive state and then would give them speed later on, um, during like the years of like the crime and stuff like that. So actually I didn't know this, but that was like a popular, transition in the hate ashbury slash hippie scene was to start out using lsd and then slowly work your way towards speed i didn't know that that was like a thing but apparently it was a big thing I didn't know that either. uh and both lsd and speed were being uh, studied by the hate ashbury free clinic which is was started um all the way back in the 60s and was just shut down after this guy uh, tom o'neill released this book and he thinks that it might have had something to do with him releasing this book about how mk ultra was basically funding um this there was these two guys david smith and roger smith roger smith was um charles manson's like handler or probation officer something like that but he kept getting him out of like crimes that would put anybody away forever and somehow he kept getting let out getting let out kept getting lsd somehow um and then the other guy david smith was a farm they both ran the hate ashbury free clinic both these smiths um and dave smith was a pharmacologist who before that working there he was testing lsd on mice um and rats and then they would use speed too and that's how they came up with the famous experiment where you know, they give them the mice speed or rat speed, and then they eventually become aggressive with each other and they're overpopulated and they attack each other kind of a thing. And then you see that represented in the hippie slash human culture too, as I mentioned, hippies using LSD and then switching to speed and becoming violent with each other. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff. Roger, um, or this, okay. So then you find out about this guy named Jolly West. Um, and he, was he was in the military early on in his career uh but he became like this go-to mind guru for the military and the cia and stuff and he predicted all these lsd cults um gottlieb who was the head of you know the cia right. at the time funded mass conversion program and funded it through mk ultra oh the jolly west guy <laughs> supposedly would dress up uh, like a hippie, but it was clear clear that he was like a conservative guy, just like pretending, almost like you see like some dude at a concert, like like a cop trying to sell drugs or something <laughs> right. like that. Um, and he, so he worked. The, the thing is, like, he worked with LSD all the way back from the fifties, though. And he he was the dude like when all the prisoners of war came back from the Korean War, he would deprogram them. He deprogrammed eighty three prisoners supposedly, um, and. You know, the thing, the other thing I found out too, which was interesting, and I was thinking about this, I wonder if he used LSD to deprogram these prisoners of war because they had all that trauma. Maybe he used LSD on them to kind of get them out of that. Um, you have Dulles, uh, you know, funding Gottlieb and the MK Ultra because they were worried that the, the Soviets were going to get us with all this like mind control stuff. They were, it was like a kind of a response to what we thought that the Soviets were going to do, but then they got a little taste of it and saw all the potential with all of the mind control yeah. stuff. And they're like, okay, no, we're going to do more of this stuff. And then 1953, <laughs> 1953, you have MK ultra, which was born 
Um, the, again, the main focus was mind control to prevent Soviet brainwashing. Uh, and then the power and greed took over. And actually, there was most people don't know there's 149 sub ops uh, that were part of MK Ultra where they studied things like magnetic stuff, you know, magnetic energy, chemicals on people, hypnosis, ESP, you know, et cetera, everything having to do with the mind. Um, if you've ever heard about the the one guy that killed the elephant with LSD, that was Jolly West too. Jolly West is actually the one that okay. did that. Um, everybody's, I think, heard of Midnight Climax if you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast because he talks about it all the time. But that's where in MK Ultra they had three um, like uh, safe houses they were called, but they were like bordellos. And there was this dude on in, in one of the in, you know through a two way mirror that would watch. Um, they would dose the um john with lsd and then um you know the prostitute would have sex with them so but supposedly reading this there was some dude behind the two-way mirror i forget the guy's name but he had like a mini cooler and he was just mixing martinis the whole time just watching all this shit happen which is crazy to think about there's some dude with a mini cooler just (laughs) observing all this crazy stuff go down um yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, oh, and uh, also Jolly West, this mind control guru guy who's been using LSD and different compounds on people. And, and you know, he the idea was to replace people's true thoughts or true memories with fake or falsified memories, almost like um, what's it called? Uh, hypnotherapy. Was it regression? Uh, you know how they you can put plant ideas in people's heads kind of a thing. So they used hypnosis a lot too. He was also connected to Jack Ruby uh, and the JFK situation, which is kind of weird. He actually had a, he got to interview Jack Ruby alone for a while before, I I think after he he had killed what's his face and before, while he was on trial Uh, out of, as far as we know, two people died from MK Ultra. Um, one of them was Frank Olson, who's part of that documentary on Netflix called Wormwood, where he was part. He was in. He was part of the CIA, but he went to some party they had, and he accidentally got dosed or dosed on purpose. And then the next day, he went into some weird depression because he didn't understand what was going on, and then jumped out of a window and killed himself. And then later on, his son you know, pushed hard and they got all this stuff uncovered. So anyways, I don't want to ruin anything. That's actually not even the juiciest stuff, but I just want to give people a general idea of like, Oh yeah. <laughs> you think, you think, you think that, um, I'm not a conspiracy guy at all. Okay. I'm not like, I don't, I just don't waste my time on it. I know that some, a small amount of them do exist, but when you read this book, you realize, I don't think that like even that Jolly West guy that was doing all these tests on people with LSD and mind control, I don't think he was some magician or just really understood what he was doing. Like you think some guy at the top just knows he's going to pull all the strings. And I don't think of it like that. I just think that from reading this, you realize how, how crazy people are in the sense that what they're willing to do for whatever reason, if they think that there's like a purpose to it, right? Like how far Mm -hmm. they're willing to go and you get, like even like Nazi testing type vibes from some of the shit that they were doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, again, I don't, I think everybody should read this book chaos because I didn't know a ton about the Manson murders, but you learn a ton and you, you realize it was no accident. Manson had been to that house before. Um, there was parties there all the time with people that ran in the same circles. Um, there was a lot of connections to all that stuff. And then on top of that, you get the second, 
wave of this book, which is all about like mind control, CIA, MK Ultra, all that kind of stuff. So, does the book have the picture of it's like Bugliosi's team? I guess it is. And so I have they, they, the I have both. I don't know. I'd have to pull up my Kindle, but I have there, the Audible. A, on the Audible, they do give you the notes. Here, let me see if I can pull up the pictures on it. Well, the, Chris, I believe it was Christopher Knowles, the Secret Sun guy. He he shared a picture before he dipped off of social media, and I did not save the picture. But it's it's Bugliosi's like legal team, and I can't remember if it's if it's if they had won the case yet, or if it was just the one year anniversary. I think it was on the one year anniversary of the murders, or 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 the, right. the tape because Libyanka happened last night. But in the picture, there's like you know the there's, it's men and women, but like a woman has an X drawn on her head, like she's a Manson girl, and they're holding um, a um, like a noose. Is this? Is this? I'm just wondering. There's a bunch. Yeah, there's a bunch of pictures. I don't. Picture is included in the book because I remember seeing that. Yeah, there are a bunch of pictures. And thinking that's insane. But that, of course, that picture was taken at a time where they just thought we can take this picture and no one's ever going to see it. But you're looking at the picture and you're you're thinking these are people who are not only making a mockery of the murders, but it also has this ritualistic aspect to it, which is why I think they actually posed for it on the anniversary of the death. And it just also goes to show that yeah, Bugliosi didn't care. He was he was making a name for himself. He he wrote this fictitious book, Helter Skelter. I've got it on my I actually have Shane's copy on my shelf. I've never read the book. I don't really have any interest in reading it because when I think of it, I think of um every baby boomer who flips out when they find out I've communicated with Charles Manson or they flip out when they find out I've been in bands that covered his music and they just think it's so hideous and despicable. And it's like, yeah, you, you were programmed to think that you, you went, a you went a decade with that crammed down your throat and we still get Charles Manson stuff every couple of years. Not, not from, not like the good stuff like chaos, but just another crappy made for TV movie or just like, Hey kids, you never heard of Charles Manson, but he's the American boogeyman. You know, he's, it, it it is a psyop. It is a conspiracy. People came together to make this happen. He's the he's the ultimate scapegoat. You you think yeah. Freemasons are, are are scapegoats, and they are. But man, Charles Manson. Well, he, he I mean, the evil hippie. And I love the whole fact that we think of Hate Ashbury and the Beatles and LSD as counterculture. It's not. It is the culture. We were we were raised to think that. It's counterculture, but it's like, no, the, the counterculture is, in fact, the culture. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's more Grateful Dead's associated with Hate ashbury And actually, Grateful Dead was counterculture because they were doing the um, electric Kool-Aid acid test with Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's not um, counterculture. It's marketed that way, but the government— Well, but that, that, I mean, you'll, you, you'll, if you read Chaos, you'll see, like, yeah, there was hippies and stuff like that, but it was all hippies— like kind of coming to that one specific area. Like I think the summer of love, they, they estimated a hundred thousand um, arrived in, in, you know, which is a lot of people. Um, so obviously those people are coming from somewhere now. Like I don't, when you said, you said the Beatles, I don't think of the Beatles as counterculture. I do think them as pop culture, but I don't think the grateful dead is pop culture. I think the grateful dead is counterculture because they're two very different things where the Beatles might've done psychedelics, 
literally the Grateful Dead had Osley and all the people all associated yep. with getting all the LSD and the electrically acid test and all that stuff out there. So um, I think that there's, you know, an element of what you're saying is true. I do think that that was more in the public uh, at the time, but I do think that there were people that were <laughs> a little bit more out there than some of the other people. Well, sure. The like the Beatles are like the most famous example. And of course, I think George Harrison, he talks about when he went to hate Ashbury, he was like, this is depressing. <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. And, yeah. and I, I love the whole story about, you know, the revolver song, Dr. Robert literally being about some doctor who laced their coffee with acid. And the first time the Beatles tripped on acid, it's be, it's because a handler dosed them without their consent. That's weird. All right. You know, should... What's all that about? Shout out We're to here. Old Vets Symposium. I don't know who this this benefactor is, but this this guy just donated forty dollars on super chats. Thank All you, right. Old Vet Symposium. I don't know who you are, but um, apparently the aliens helped him win three hundred dollars at the casino. Dude, you didn't have to do that. I appreciate it. But uh, by the way, that's Shane. This dude's donating to our own show that he's on right now, which I appreciate. I prefer the second one. I know you won't read the second one. But I had to donate because the second one's very important. Okay, yeah, uh, Toby, you can screw off according according to. Oh, it looks like there's a whole list. Hold on, Toby, Tara, and Chase. Twenty dollars well spent to flip a middle finger to those three. Oh, got him. So, is this what your twenty dollars just bought you? There you go. Yeah, yeah, middle finger emoji. It was well worth the twenty dollars. Go listen to some Grateful Dead. There you go. Um. Well, I think we should wrap it up here. I'd like to have you back on in the future. You know, uh, maybe we can, I since I didn't know you knew, so I mean, I kind of had an idea of from our back and forth before we did the podcast, but maybe we can do one specifically on like religion or like Jesus or whatever next time. Because I, you know, while I'm not super religious, I do love those conversations. Um, and I definitely learn every time we have like the back and forth, like, I would much rather have somebody come on um, that's well-researched like you and have different points of view and opinions and stuff like that um, than have somebody come on to the, just like agrees the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Right, like right. there's, yeah. there's more yeah. to be gained from yeah. those kind of yeah. that, like friction, you know? So, oh, yeah, um, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but I would like to have you back on where we talk about like, you know, the history or, you know, what we know about like, you know, Jesus and theology and things like that. So. I've I loved this, man. I mean, I already was kind of a fan and, um, yeah, dude, this is y'all. We can do anything. Be- I mean, even maybe get you on next time too. Maybe we can get you on with PD, and you, you know, we can talk about all sorts of Masonic, Masonic and let, esoteric let, stuff and all that kind of dude, stuff. Let, let, let's do that if if that's cool with you and and PD's down. I, I think it would be great to have the two of us on together because there was so many times in this interview where I I knew what I wanted to say, and then I start talking. I'm, I just want to be like, Danny, you you know what I'm trying to say, you know, because. He's the man that remembers everything he reads, and he's he's just a genius. Um, yeah, and and I think just the the roundtable conversation would just. I love. I mean, he's always. I love the books that he reads too, and posts like they're such esoteric and obscure, like and you know, pre-Socratic philosophy and different philosophers, and he's finding all these yeah. crazy books that I I didn't even know exist out there. So yeah, he 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 is he is the prophet who in his own town, no, nobody knows he's there. People don't realize what he knows. And, and the people who kind of, kind of get it 
are immediately like, oh no, no, no. You know, I, I, there's so many, there's so many PD haters and it's just because like, yeah, you feel stupid when you're around him, don't you? <laughs> like, like, he's just yeah. a cool, normal guy that, that, that knows some great stuff because he puts in, he puts in the work y'all. Like he's going to, He's actually on his way to Australia right now. I don't know if he's landed yet, but he, he's on his Good way. Good day, mates. Put another shrimp yeah. on the barbie for us. Shout some, out to Ken. Some psychedelic <laughs> shrimp. <laughs> yeah. um, we actually have our, our a mind escape first tonight as well. It looks like we have our first on-air divorce between Tara and Shane. It's happening live on our live chat. Good riddance. Papers, papers have been served. I don't know what's going on here. But... Good riddance. Oh my you, you god! You said that you were in a bad mood, Shane. Yeah, yeah Shane, Shane well, was crabby. I did too. What I say when he when he jumped on, I'm like, dude, you are crabby, bro. Said, the first thing I said, they said, you look like you're in a bad mood. And what did I say? I'm married. I'm always in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, Alec first really loved. Alec loved that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just jealous, man. I'm just jealous. Well, guess what, guys? I love my wife to death. So no fights here. Awesome. You guys do you. I'll do me. But anyways, yeah. Mike. cheers. Oh, my wife will definitely love me to death at some point. So if you don't um, hear from me. <laughs> um, hopefully you get smothered with love. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Again, perfect erotic novel, Bigfoot, Tiny Dick. Um, <laughs> That's why Bigfoot's so mad. That's why he's killing people. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's wrap it up here. Uh, again, if you're interested and you love occult fiction and, and horror fiction and all that, check out, uh, Alec has his publishing company, which is called Werecat Books. And, um, you can check out his book. I have his book link down below, uh, to his Amazon page. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I haven't read it yet, but I'm, I'm willing to, to read it actually, to be honest with you. I haven't, I told him I haven't read fiction in a while, but I might make a, special uh case just to read his work i like supporting our guests his book um is called scratch on the lock um and yeah you can check out again those links down below he also has a youtube channel which you should check out and subscribe and let's see here and yeah if you want to support mind escape all you have to do is click click the link tree link down below Again, we have a Patreon that I just restructured. Um, for just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive access to um, our guest segments and things that you can't find on our audio or um, YouTube platform. And let's see here. We have a merch store, which I have a ton of designs, cool designs, esoteric designs. Go check that out. Um, and, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, which we do we do all of our shows live on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, please check out our audio platform stuff. We do a video podcast on Spotify, uh, and we are on Apple Podcasts as well. If you want to leave us a nice review, we'd really appreciate that. Um, and also, you know, hit the like button if you're watching right now on YouTube or, you know, whatever. We'd appreciate that as well. Um as we leave out of here, I am going to play the trailer for our upcoming documentary, which I will keep doing until it uh, premieres. And uh, I think that's about, oh yeah, go check out our, our other podcast that Shane and I do. And shout out to Toby, who's in here in the chat. Uh, it's called the Roswell UFO Symposium. Uh, we just did a really good episode a couple nights ago. Um, I, fe- I feel like we hit on uh, a couple real deep topics with the phenomenon. Uh, and we have a bunch of cool guests coming up, top 
you know, minds in the field, as well as, you know, we're going to start doing our episodes uh, 11 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday night. So you can tune in regularly to the Roswell UFO Symposium. And the link tree for that is down below. Is there anything else you want to say, Alec, before we get out of here? Keep watching the stars and don't trip on your dick. All right. Those are those are good ones. Um, and I want that yeah. T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thank you, y'all. This has been a blast. Yeah. Shout out to Tara. Shout out to Chase. Shout out to Toby. Uh, four and a half fingers. Um, who else? Corback. Um, who else do we have here? B. Tons of people. And we really appreciate all, all the love. Um, Nicholas down there at the bottom. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, you know, we love everybody. Stay safe out there. And here is the trailer for our upcoming documentary, As Within, So Without, from UFOs to DMT. Here we go. Is it real or is it not? That's what you're asking me. I still, to this day, can't find any rational explanation for what I saw. Extremely intelligent, apparently highly advanced, hyper-technological being. I think that we just don't look at the perception of reality in the right way yet. It got very close to the point that I could see just one big light and then it stopped and then it shot up in the sky. You know, you know you're not dreaming, but you wonder how real any of it really is. It dawned on me, it, it was real, this, this took place, but then I still didn't do anything with it, never said anything to anybody. There is some mind-altering aspect to these UFO encounters. Uh, a lot of people get a sense of missing time. I noticed that these three stars were kind of in a formation, a triangular formation. Condensed into entities or beings that uh, you interact with who are sentient. Again, the goals which are going into our brain are making the unconscious archetypes come alive how things evolve from pure energy to matter. Definitely was kind of a paradigm shifting moment. And as we continue to evolve in our own consciousness, we will perceive of new modes of interpretation, but that may be dependent upon how this supposed phenomenon reveals itself to us. I'm not sure why we discredit the human experience when it's not in alignment with our current belief system. It's important to consider that, one, we don't really understand what our minds do under the influence of psychedelics. Uh, they all attest to the reality of some other realm. You call it the paranormal, doesn't matter what you call it, spiritual realm, supernatural, metaphysical, doesn't matter. The fact that we're essentially vibrating energy in a sense and that when this experience is over that that particular energy transforms and doesn't die because it can't die fills me with a lot of comfort that there is something else after this so-called here and now 
they show you how much of your reality is subjective and fragile and capable of being influenced by a psychedelic drug. Coming from a scientific background, you come up with explanations that range from geomagnetic to atmosphere to something that's physical in nature. There's a lot more out there that we don't know than we do know. So the entire system, the human body, is effectively a stimulation response machine. I think something's here. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's from. It could be extraterrestrials. Until it made a full rotation and then it just hit an insane speed and just shot up straight into the atmosphere. I think that there's compelling evidence that psychedelics have played a significant role in human evolution over a long period of time. The our view of reality, the reality that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, seems to be this very, very thin slice of something far larger and far more as within so without from ufos to dmt